Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. On this week's show, we're taking a look at the wider SaaS community to see how everyone's coping with the current global situation. Like so many of our peers, we were due to attend SASTER 2020 a few weeks back and I lined up interviews with some of the incredible speakers who would have been there. Over the past few weeks, we've been fortunate enough to be able to have some of those conversations remotely and it got us thinking about how the industry at large is responding to what's going on. We've also chatted to others more directly about their current circumstances. We'll be releasing those planned interviews down the line when the time is right. But for today, we're sharing some of the conversations we've had with people about how they're responding to what's going on recently, how they've adapted their work and what it means for the future of SaaS. You'll hear some great insights from Kirsten Habacht, head of EDR Sales at Atlassian, Prasanth Chandrasekhar, CEO at Stack Overflow, Josh Nielsen, CEO at Zencaster, Lauren Paddleford, General Manager at Shopify Plus, and Tom Ronan, Head of Customer Support at Monday.com. Let's hear from our guests. It's fair to say that much has changed over the past few weeks for people across the globe. We're all trying to find our way in uncharted waters, and it can be a challenge, whether personally or professionally. We started off by asking our guests how folks in their organization were getting on. Here's Kirsten Habacht from Atlassian. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a great question. And, and I think it's changing, you know, day to day. But generally, what I'll say is that Atlassian has been an amazing partner in all of this. And, and they closed up our offices, you know, probably about two weeks, three weeks before a lot of the orders came down from the states to close up the offices. The tone was always very that like our employees health and safety came first. And so they've done a lot to make us feel like we are being communicated to and we are being taken care of and that we are important in all of this and that we stay safe. And so I think for right now, folks are coping, coping pretty well with it. And, and, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that uh, it's going to be hard to go back to working in the office after doing this. So I don't know, maybe check in with me when we have to all go back to work and, you know, back to our offices and see how folks are coping then. (laughs) And what measures specifically have you guys taken to adapt your work practices? I mean, it's not so different for you because you worked remotely anyway, but as you were saying, when we were off air, it is different in that there are more people in the house than there normally would be. Yeah. I mean, there's a few things, right? You know, at a high level, people have been allowed to either buy equipment or take equipment home if they had the ability to do that. Things like giving people an allowance to basically go buy like a good chair. You forget how crazy important a good chair is. I have people working at a kitchen table or something and it's like a day of that and you're, you're ready to be done. And so it's like, go get a chair, go get something comfortable. So, so things like that, but just in general, from a work practices perspective, a lot of people have kids and there's no way for those kids to be in school right now. And so, or to have babysitters or nannies or anything in the house. And so we're all posting our hours in Slack. You know, I myself am working kind of half day and then catching up again at night because I have to take care of my toddler twins. So I'm taking care of them in the afternoon. My husband's doing it in the morning. He also works at Atlassian. So he and I are splitting our shifts, but but we're not alone, right? There's a lot of people going through that exact same thing. And so Atlassian's been really good about, you know, just post your hours, let your team know what you're doing and get what you need to get. And other than that, I think we were set up because we were such a globally distributed team. We were pretty well set up to communicate regardless of where we were in terms of our tools and our practices. 
Atlassian moved pretty quickly to remote working and seemed to be supporting their teams really well in doing so. Other companies had to pivot less where some of their workforce already worked remotely. Here's Brazamp from Stack Overflow. Yeah, no, I think it's obviously uh, completely unprecedented times and I don't think anybody uh, has seen anything like this. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter which generation you're part of. I think it's a generational sort of event. For us, you know, we were just blessed that we, uh, you know, 30% of our company uh, was uh, remote uh, to begin with. And so it was, uh, you know, it was not a very large shift for us to move 100% remote. So we did that on March 9th. So we went fairly early and we were proactive about it because, you know, we just didn't want to take any chances because uh, we we're headquartered in New York. And, you know, we, when we began to hear some of the the kind of the, the reports on the numbers, we just decided to just go very quickly remote. And so we did that, I think, in a within a week. Uh, it wasn't very long uh, where our New York and London and Munich and Austin offices all went 100% remote. So the move to remote was not as, I would say, traumatic or, uh, you know, kind of disruptive. Um, uh, however, you know, luckily for us, of course, and, and I would say the bigger change, of course, is, you know, just the, the fact that it's such an extended period of time. And so everything, all the cultural elements of what we were established more in the physical setting have now, you know, begin to transition uh, online. And, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't really matter if you're a remote, you know, if you've been a remote friendly company, a remote first company, as you know, we've been for many years. You know, after a certain point in time, especially after three or four weeks, I think it does weigh on you individually, and especially in this circumstance where I think the macro global situation is where you've got, you know, kids at home and you have elderly parents you're worried about, uh, all that infused with, uh, you know, the the day-to-day of, you know, having to uh, make sure that you're also operating in the company. That has probably been the most interesting challenge. So I think there's, you know, it is a work in progress and, you know, I hope for everybody's sake that, you know, we return to normalcy soon, but, you know, all things considered, our company has weathered through the storm and, and adapted. And the I, I, last thing I'll mention, I think it's it's fascinating, you know, just to see the level of resiliency and, you know, just the capacity of human beings to be able to adapt very quickly. And in, in this case, I've seen that not only at Stack Overflow, but all the other companies in the world that have, uh, you know, that have moved to this mode and, and trying to do the best they can. Resilience and the capacity to adapt are certainly useful attributes at the moment. We were curious to hear from peer companies just how they were adapting. For my part, one product that I found invaluable in keeping the podcast going this past while is Zencaster. So let's hear from their CEO, Josh, about what their approach is. We're a fully distributed team and we've been that way from the beginning. And so for us, it was kind of, uh, obviously, we, you know, we're aware that things are going on, but we didn't have to change much uh, sure. procedurally inside the business to, to kind of handle this. Um, our bigger problem has been that we've had so much demand on our product that we weren't expecting that we've been scrambling just to keep our servers up and everybody's just been kind of working around the clock. What's interesting about this situation for us is that it's not just podcasters who have these problems. So, I mean, we are getting a lot of outreach from what's changed is I think most of the veteran independent podcasters kind of already knew about us. Mm-hmm. But the people who didn't or just weren't on the market for a product like this were companies that had, you know, like yourself, that had studios that you were recording in. Because yeah. um, if you got a studio, you're going to use it, right? So uh, what we're finding is that there's, you know, for instance, we're in the process of uh, onboarding, you know, we're, we haven't totally sealed the deal, so I won't say the name, but there's, you know, very major sports broadcasting company. And they came to us and they were saying, 
you know, we've got 15 studios that we were recording all our content in and now uh, we can't use them anymore and we don't know what to do. And we're like, hey, we'd love to help you. But then, you know, there's also other things like one thing I've noticed recently, we've now got video game companies using Zencaster to record voiceovers because they can't go into the studio and do their normal studio thing. So really anybody that needs to record anything now is on the market and has a need for a remote recording tool. Remote is very much the word on everyone's lips at the moment. But many companies in our sphere have their infrastructure set up in the cloud already. So they're focusing their energy on supporting customers and staff. Here's Lauren from Shopify Plus. Yeah, so obviously we're in a very dynamic world right now and things are changing almost daily. So the nice part about Shopify is uh, we have kind of built a business from day one to be effective in this kind of environment. And what that means is we are a SaaS application. And so all of our infrastructure, everything that runs the stores of a million merchants around the world is remote. We've managed it remotely from day one. There's no one in these huge server farms that we're running off of. And so we can manage the platform and the software totally remote. We've been doing that for years. And so this affects that. So all of our customers um, can and should expect the, the platform and their software to continue to operate regardless of where the humans at Shopify are working. Now, we are also very focused on the long term. So our first priority is our own team members and their families and ensuring that they're safe and that everyone is adapting. With the changing nature of people working from home and especially schools closing, we have a lot of families who have kids at home now. We're, we're trying to be very flexible and say to our employees, all right, you, you tell us what your new work reality is going to be. Is that a different schedule? Are you going to be offline at different times? We're going to work with you to make it work. So we have our merchants covered in that we are we, the platform and our, our services and the support teams and everything are there. We have our employees covered, but we did move the whole company to work from home very early on uh, because we were kind of set up for this. It was it 35% of Shopify was already fully remote. And so this wasn't a real big shift. We have a lot of internal teams we can rely on to teach the rest of the organization how to do it well. So while it's very very new and these are challenging times, we feel ultimately like the business and Shopify is um, in a good position to adjust to this working environment and still provide a high level of service to our customers and a high level of care to our employees. Adapting your business strategy to the current situation can be as simple as approaching your communications through a different channel. One company who are proving invaluable for teams at the moment are Monday.com. Knowing that they're leaders in the remote working space, they're looking to build a community where companies can support each other by sharing their experiences. Yeah, we find ourselves really in the forefront of this transition to remote work as a whole. And what we're doing is, I think the first thing that we've done has been around leveraging our experienced customer base. So using our community of users uh, and leveraging their knowledge, going out there and asking them, how, how have you done this transition? What are the best practices that you've uncovered? So we've done a lot of case studies and, and posted those on our blogs. Uh, we facilitated mm-hmm. a lot of internal forums. So we would invite, let's say, a group of 15 of our users to just talk. And our customer experience team has been facilitating these forums to talk about remote work transitions. And this really allows our customers to empower one another through our community or, or through our uh, webinar platform as well. and then. 
all of us internally kind of collecting and coming together, our marketing team and our customer experience team coming together and creating this mat these materials and kind of distributing that out there. Uh, and it can be a, a salesperson around, you know, shaping how the pitch of Monday.com now sounds in this new day of age, but it can also be a customer success manager that's now working with one of our larger clients on conducting that transformation to remote work and just leveraging. It can be a best practice that we learned in one of these remote forums from a small marketing agency that uh, we mm -hmm. now implement with a bigger client of ours that is using Monday for hundreds and hundreds of users. So it's been an incredibly enlightening experience to learn from our own customer base and then kind of leverage our voice and our kind of megaphone in this time to amplify these lessons that we've learned from our own customers. I'm just going to pause the podcast there for a second to tell you that the Intercom Customer Service Trends Report 2024 is out now. We asked 2,000 plus customer service teams across the globe how they are meeting the challenges and opportunities of 2024. In it, you'll see this year's top five customer service trends plus strategies to meet rising customer expectations. You can find the report at inter.com forward slash 2024 trends. Okay, back to today's episode. Learning from other companies and from your customers is a great strategy when there's so much changing day to day and so much at stake. We chatted to our guests about what these seismic shifts mean for their business today and what it might mean for them going forward. For Shopify and e-commerce in general, Lauren believes this will bring about a sea change. I think we're definitely going to see an impact on commerce in a variety of ways. Physical retail is going to is going to struggle as we social distance, and social distancing is absolutely the right thing. We need to do it, and so this isn't a, there's a, there's not an argument here. It's like this is what we do for society, which trumps business, and so that's going to be hard for physical retail. The beneficiary of it will be digital retail. The delivery services and e-commerce are going to be. There's going to be a lot of people that have been sitting on the fence for a long time, wondering about whether they should buy things online and what they should buy online, that now are in a bit of a forcing function where there's no real other option. So you're going to see a huge new group of people coming into e-commerce as a primary source of, of shopping. My gut tells me that's going to persist. I think people are going to realize that e-commerce and shopping online is much better than they think it is in their heads, and they're going to get used to it. They're going to realize its convenience, and they're going to do it a lot more, even once we bounce back and go back. It doesn't mean physical retail dies. We are human beings. We like interaction. We like experience. That will continue, so there will still be physical retail. But I do think e-commerce is going to increase greatly over this period and will probably maintain that even once things go back to quote-unquote normality. It's not just the buying and selling that will be affected, but the making too. Josh from Zencaster makes the argument that people should be using this time to get creative and that for independent content creators, there will be a huge need for their output, down the line at least. I think that there's lots of different ramifications of what's going on right now. I mean, one that I've been thinking about today, which is kind of interesting is, you know, one of the effects right now is we're seeing a big boost in people wanting to create, but at the same time, people's routines have been messed up and podcasters themselves are starting to see a dip in listenership. Now, this is something that I actually do think is going to be temporary. 
you know, people aren't commuting right now. People aren't going to the, the gyms are all shut down and their schedules and their routines are, are messed up. So, you know, that's having its effect, but, you know, think about what's going to be like in a year from now, every TV show or movie that was supposed to come out is probably now canceled. There's going to be a huge cliff in content. That's true. And I think this is a real big opportunity for independent content creators because there's just going to be a lot of people looking, especially if we're still in quarantine, which I hope, you know, I, I don't know what's the, what the future holds, but people are going to be looking for content and there's going to be less and less professional quality content being made, a lot less being made in the next year. So, you know, it's a chance to really step up and catch some of those audience members. There were a lot of common themes in our conversations with our panel of guests. So when we asked them what this crisis might mean for the future of SaaS and indeed the wider business community, it's probably not a surprise that a lot of them chatted about remote working. What was a pleasant surprise was to hear that they think that this time will be a reflective one where individuals and businesses take stock of the value of remote workers and working practices. So who knows what the future of work will look like as a result. I think that it's going to be really hard for people to go back to the office. I I think you're going to see a lot of people who want to remain work from home or work from home at some component. I think you're going to see companies come out of this and realize that the world didn't stop just because folks weren't in the office. And I think it's going to open up a lot of people's eyes to remote and to that flexibility. Whereas I think some folks who never experienced at least are, are kind of scared of the unknown. And if, if I can't see what somebody's working on, how do I know they're not, they're working? And I think this is going to show people that not only did they work when they were home, but their, their folks worked too. Right. And so we can do this. And if we can get to the place where more people can be open about remote work, it opens up diversity of candidate pools. It opens up diversity of locations and the kind of folks that you can get, it, it, it opens up the ability to scale in a way that lets you scale without having to worry about office space and location and recruiting, you know, pools and things like that. And so I think this is a huge step if it really does change people's opinion on remote and flexibility to potentially changing the way that a lot of companies look internally look because they're going to have this completely different pool of resources available to them. That's my optimistic view of it, at least. Yeah, I certainly think it's not going to be a temporary phenomenon where, you know, this happens and, and obviously hopefully the, the virus goes away and, you know, there's uh, people get back to their normal lives. But I certainly feel this event is not going to, you know, kind of be a one-time spike and, and it disappears. I think people will think about remote work a lot more as a fundamental part of you know, their culture and their hiring practices and how they operate as a business. And like I mentioned earlier on, there are actually many benefits of actually working remotely that uh, you're getting great access to talent, you're providing, you know, a tremendous amount of flexibility and, you know, you're trusting your employees to do the right thing and do the work, you know, versus having to kind of, you know, show up just for FaceTime and so on. So there's an element, I think, a cultural transformation that is uh, that is almost inevitable in my mind as a result of this, and that's probably uh, you know, the shining light of uh, this uh, sort of entire crisis. One of the truly inspiring things to observe over the past few weeks has been how fast the SaaS sector has moved to support their wider community, wherever in the world they are. We wanted to see if any of our guests had any shining examples of this, whether from themselves or others that they wanted to share. Here's Tom from Monday.com. 
there's many companies out there that I've been seeing that have been just more proactive in terms of educating the general user base or potential user base that they can have now with uh, so many businesses moving to remote work around how to best utilize their services and doing that for free. You know, it's, it's really mm -hmm. showing us how right now is not really the time where you want to monetize perhaps your solution and ask for payment for these services. And we're seeing all across the board. I can just speak for monday.com, how thankful is our user base right now that we're providing all these services for free. And I think it's only something that's benefiting us as a business later on. You know, right now, it's important that if we're in a position to give, we will give. If it's education on how to best use our platform and how we can benefit from our services, so be it. And we'll benefit from it, you know, down the line. And many, many other tech companies have adopted the same thing. Uh, my LinkedIn feed is, is filled with these examples. Focusing on community need in the here and now and worrying about the business implications later is an approach that Shopify have also espoused. Here's Lauren to wrap things up with some great advice. It is really amazing to see communities come together and whether they're local communities or global communities to support each other. And I know tech and, and, and Shopify's case, um, we are spending a lot of our internal resources on consolidating information for entrepreneurs. So what are the different government funding programs that are being announced? We're creating websites where that's easy to get access to. We're opening up more capabilities and pushing that to our customers so that they can do more things and shift their businesses more rapidly. We're holding more educational seminars. We're putting teams of merchants together to talk about how they can do things. And we're working with our partners to find you know, innovative ways to support businesses and entrepreneurs through this. And I think you can see that around all the industries trying to lean in as best as they can to support their own employees, their own local communities, and their own global communities. A really great example I keep seeing pop up on Shopify and you know in the community is people spinning up websites that identify and support the local businesses, the restaurants, the shops, the stores, who may, you may not be aware of, who have delivery and gift cards and, and things that you can buy while we're socially distanced that will support those and ensure that they also survive this because they're going to be the hardest hit through all of this. So I'm encouraged by all those activities and people sharing you know, the local community stores who we can all lean in and support. And it's, it's a fine line, isn't it, between sort of getting on with business as usual and trying to continue to, to, to run business, but being very aware that like there's a, there's a human side to this, and particularly in, in some countries are really on the, the pointy end of that right now. Absolutely. You, you want to be very careful because it's the right human thing to do. We are humans. We are in this together. And so profiteering is not, I mean, it's just not cool. Like, like you got you got to recognize that now is not the time to be like pushing a bunch of crap into the world. You've got to take a human first approach and, and say, what would you want someone to do with you? And then do those things. And so I think being very cognizant of the people that you're talking to, the state, the emotional states they're in, the mental states they're in, and looking for ways to be near-term supportive. We'll worry about long-term later, but like we need to figure out how to adjust and help people adjust both personally and from a business perspective to the near-term realities and then how to build sustainability through that. And so, you know, I think the more we, we focus on the human side of this and that we are all together in this one global community, the better off we're all going to be. 
We hope you enjoyed our conversations with SaaS leaders and it helps to hear how other companies are getting on. We'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Intercom where we host a panel of our best and brightest customer support leaders. We hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.